Welcome back for another episode of The Break Room. I'm your host, Morgan Hensley, and in this episode, we're examining the new Evaluation and Management, or E&M, coding guidelines. This revision by the American Medical Association is the first major overhaul of the codes in more than 25 years. As the AMA stated, these foundational modifications were designed to make E&M office visit coding and documentation simpler and more flexible, freeing physicians and care teams from clinically irrelevant administrative burdens. Here to discuss these modifications is Amy Waller, Vice President of HIM and Coding Integrity at Privia Health. We'll discuss the industry trends that informed the updates, examine how the changes may enhance the patient-provider relationship and reduce burnout, review resources to educate care teams, and much, much more. And with that, let's start the show. Hey, Amy. Uh, thank you so much for coming on the break room today. I'm excited to discuss E&M coding changes with you. Uh, but, but, but first, can you please tell our listeners a bit about yourself, your roles, uh, and, and areas of expertise? Sure, Morgan, and thanks for having me. I've been in the coding and documentation space for a long time, and I've had many roles. I began in compliance, basically managing medical practices, and then moved into auditing and QA in hospitals. I also audited Medicare Advantage plans for CMS for a time. But I soon realized that my passion is really working with providers to help them get through and navigate all of the different government and payer rules and guidelines that they have to follow just in order to, to pretty much get paid, but also to stay compliant. So I really look at that as um, something that I've always wanted to stay in. I've never really gone to the other side. Um, I really believe that we should also all do what we do best. And it's time to let providers do just that provide care to their patients, have more time with patients and less time clicking irrelevant boxes that do nothing to enhance patient care or patient outcomes. Reducing administrative work so providers can focus on enhancing patient care and, and outcomes is a major goal of the latest revisions. These revisions were the first major overhaul of the codes uh, for office and other outpatient evaluation and management services uh, for more than 25 years. The, the healthcare industry has surely changed dramatically in that period of time. What are the most relevant changes to healthcare uh, during that time that necessitated these updates? That's a great question. And I, I kind of look back and I can't believe it's been 25 years. That's one of the questions I get asked most often by providers is why are we doing the same old things? Time has changed, medicine has changed, healthcare has changed. As you know, value-based care has been growing in popularity all over the country in recent years, especially as patients seek out simpler and higher quality healthcare services. Patients want and need more time with their providers and providers want and need the same in order to succeed in value-based care. It takes a lot of time to see the patient from top to bottom to get a whole picture of what's happening with that patient um, history. Um, so with the older guidelines or the guidelines, the 97 and 95 guidelines, to be reimbursed for billing by time, the provider had a document they spent more than 50% of the encounter in counseling and or coordination of care, and they better document it just like that too. But billing for time in 2021 shows real improvement in allowing providers to spend more time with their patients, yet still get paid appropriately which also is something we really didn't see. More time with the patient didn't necessarily equal you know, more reimbursement for the provider. 
Um, so adding time component to this, I think really will benefit the patients and the providers going forward. This increased flexibility and, and simplicity can certainly help to reduce the administrative work I mentioned a, a minute ago. Um, according to the AMA, these changes can free physicians and care teams from clinically irrelevant administrative burdens that, that lead to time-wasting note bloat and box checking. Uh, how can these revisions help to reduce administrative burden and consequently uh, physician burnout, um, enabling providers to focus on clinical care? some really good things have come from, I think, having the right people sitting down at the table, both with CMS and the AMA, maybe starting even with CMS's initiative, the Patients Over pa Paperwork, um, which really, you know, wants to remove obstacles, like you said, that keep doctors from spending more quality time with their patients. The 95 and 97 guidelines are notorious for their burdensome documentation requirements that pretty much ask doctors to evaluate the body systems, even though it may not be pertinent to that patient visit that day. The 2021 guidelines are, are more clinically in line with how physicians think and how they might work up a patient, let's say. I'm not clinical, but it seems to be more aligned. The new medical decision-making definitions, I call them the roadmap. They're a great example of standardization, which along with simplification, is one of the primary goals of the change. Defining how a problem is addressed is a huge change. No more guessing what counts when addressing problems. Um, CMS and commercial payers finally share common definitions for each of the different problems uh, addressed, which adds up to less time spent on documentation and more time spent with the patient. I don't know the last time we all shared common definitions or common anything between CMS, all the payers, and the AMA. So I think that's a, a good first step. Focusing on, on clinically relevant care is so important and a major aspect of the patient-provider relationship. No patient uh, wants to feel as though their provider is going through a checklist uh, instead of caring for the patient's unique needs. Uh, so building on that, how might these revisions enhance the, the, the patient-provider relationship? Well, I think there's, a, there's a, many areas, but the three that kind of come to my mind for specifics that might illustrate how they might benefit the patient provider relationship. I guess the first would be that the documentation for medical necessity of a home visit over an office visit is no longer required. So that, that's good for the patient because they don't have to keep re, you know, um, uh, rescheduling appointments. Um, and the frustration prohibition for same day E&M by physicians of the same group or specialty has been lifted too. So basically, two uh, of the same specialty can see a patient in one day. And that will eliminate inconvenience for the patients and will also reduce the number of physicians getting unpaid for their exams. So they're, they're, they're loosening up some of these really strict rules they've had for, like you said, 25 years. The second is that the 95 and 97 guidelines, they both include you know, extensive review of system checklists. And uh, these requirements, they take a, a lot of time. Granted, their um, staff can do these, but they're often irrelevant and the provider still has to review them at the end of the day. The 2021 guidelines, though, now they only require a medically relevant exam. And when they define medically relevant, well, they leave it up to the provider. It's a, it's a clinically, <laughs> medically relevant exam. Finally, a doctor can be a doctor. And then the last one is that um, with the new guidelines, they can now choose to code 
on whether the complexity of the medical decision-making or total time spent for that patient. So they have a choice and they don't have to make that choice at the very beginning of the encounter. They don't have to make that choice until they close out the encounter and drop the claim. It's the most significant change, I think. I think that will really enhance patient care, giving that the patient a choice, excuse me, the provider a choice. One of the clinically relevant aspects that is extremely important, uh, though often overlooked, is screening for social determinants of health. Uh, the, the industry is increasingly realizing the, the value of social determinants of health, those areas like health literacy, housing or food insecurity, uh, income level, internet access, and, and far more. How can coding meaningfully integrate this information, these, these social determinants of health? I couldn't agree more with adding the social determinants of health into the conversation finally, but also into coding and actually leveling a visit. Social determinants of health have been around in coding for a while, but more on the value-based uh, care side for risk adjustment purposes. Um, I think now that these are included in the medical decision-making table of risk as a moderate risk, and considering there's a whole entire section in the ICD-10 code book called persons with potential health hazards related to socioeconomic and psychosocial circumstances, I think providers will realize that these factors are an important part of treating the whole patient. We need to know what's going on in, in every part of that patient's life in order to help them and have um, positive outcomes. Um, providers will, though, need a lot more education to know when and how to use these diagnosis codes in relation to leveling an E&M visit. Very new to them. Um, and considering that it's in the moderate part of the table and at risk, hugely important. Um, again, I think that we have the right people sitting down at the table to add these kinds of things to the new um, uh, E&M table for leveling. You mentioned, Amy, provider education uh, as it pertains to social determinants, uh, but another change that will require some education is how and when to code for time versus medical decision-making. Uh, while the former E&M guidelines only allowed physicians to code for an appointment's length, when more than half is dedicated to counseling or care coordination, under the new guidelines, they can code and bill for these activities regardless of time spent just in counseling and or coordination of care. Uh, how might providers uh, find this alternative preferable? Well, a major criticism of the 9597 uh, guidelines is that providers do a lot of work to treat their patients, documenting the exam, ordering tests, reviewing results, making referrals, all a number of other things. But now providers may use total time on the day of the patient encounter to determine the level of outpatient E&M coding they want to bill. This includes both total face-to-face -face and non-face-to-face -face time spent on the date of the patient encounter by the physician or a QHP. It doesn't have to be a physician. The requirement that 50% of the total time be spent providing counseling and coordination of care no longer applies, which is a welcome to most providers because they have to document it so specifically that rarely happens. It is worth noting that the time providers spend together meeting with or discussing the patient should be counted only once, uh, like you're counting the time of one individual. And the time spent by clinical staff on a service cannot be included in the calculation of total time for the purposes of code selection. With, with regard to major changes, the 2021 code set includes 206 new codes, uh, as well as 54 deletions and 69 revisions. So what do these additions and revisions reflect? 
The most significant changes are to codes for office and outpatient evaluation and management uh, services that we just talked about. Prolonged services, there's some new codes for that that are actually much easier to use for providers in the office setting. Um, breast repair and reconstruction, I've got a lot of new codes this year. Cardiovascular, cardiology always seems to get new codes. And then of course we have COVID testing. We also have COVID vaccines now as well. All of that is very complex coding um, because it's involved with CMS and um, different payers and trying to get everybody on the same page there is still a challenge. So the CPT code set continues to see growth in a lot of new areas. Um, the majority of it, 63% of the new codes this year involving new technology services described in the category three CPT codes and the continued expansion of the um, PLA section or the proprietary laboratory analysis um, CPT code set. Um, among this year's important additions to the CPT code set are the new medical testing devices sparked by public health response to COVID-19. Um, the code set has been modified with several code additions and revisions, and it continues to be modified to respond to the fast-paced innovation among digital medicine services that can improve access to health and improve health outcomes for patients across the country. Um, you can see a lot of this in the new codes for retinal imaging and extended um, EKG monitoring. A lot of these are just flying into provider offices and onto patients, um, all wrapped around telehealth, um, which is, of course, a huge, important um, addition and revision this year. Lots more news with telehealth coding. It's wonderful to see how prominently telehealth factored into the revisions, given what an amazing resource it's been throughout the pandemic. Uh, helping to keep providers and, and patients engaged uh, to both care for patients and, and also maintain practices revenue. Um, implementing these, these coding changes is, is certainly a challenge though, and we've talked about education already a bit. So, so my next question is, what tools, what resources, uh, what options are available to help educate care teams about these changes and uh, ensure coding integrity? Well, there are a plethora of E&M educational tool, tools available. The AMA, of course, developed an extensive online resource library that includes practice checklists, videos, and the videos are geared pretty much towards anybody in the practice. If you use them, I always suggest having everybody in the practice watch them just so everybody's on the same page. The modules are easy to get through, easy to understand, and really complete. As a matter of fact, um, I recommend the modules highly. Um, guidebooks, or I'll talk about that in a minute, but um, there's other tools online, but I want to caution when we look for online coding information, be very careful. It changes very quickly and you may have um, a resource from 2015 where those co codes no longer even exist. So, so please you know, be careful of what you find online. Um, I would be remiss if I didn't point out that one of the main sources of truth will always be and continues to be the AMA CPT codebook. I know this, excuse me, sounds kind of archaic. However, if every practice just had one of these books and everybody just read the first like maybe 20 pages, you would really be on the same page. And that is the source of truth. Um, they did a really good job with the new E&M guidelines, making it easy with lots of graphs, charts. And as providers, I really highly suggest you, you invest in a CPT code book for your entire office. It, it's great that there is such an abundance of, of resources for care teams. Uh, but, but to pivot for a moment from patients and providers uh, over to payers, how might the new codes help promote uh, payer consistency? 
Well, as I mentioned earlier, one of the primary goals of the change other than simplification is standardization. We know that commercial payers and CMS currently, well, actually did have just a ton of uh, different documentation standards, how to, how to code, how to level, um, what was included in documentation, what should be included, different definitions. It, it was just about to be out of control. Um, but fortunately, AME through CPT standardized the documentation of the specific level of new and established outpatient or office visits. And now it's applicable to all commercial and government payers. Again, I just think it's remarkable that we finally have CMS and AMA and commercial payers on, again, the same page, long overdue, but well received so far. Um, we spend a lot of time, you know, talking about, you know, codes and different, how different payers look at them. I think it's even the first time providers can feel like, wow, everybody really is on the same page with these new guidelines. So, you know, if it's a level three for CMS, it's going to be a level three for one of the commercial payers. Huge, huge advance. Yeah, that, that alignment is so vital when it comes to creating a more efficient, uh, a more seamless uh, healthcare system. As the industry evolves, coding will evolve with it. So, uh, you know, I always like to close uh, every episode of the podcast by looking toward the future. And, and with that in mind, what trends and evolutions should the industry uh, be mindful of when it comes to future code revisions? I think, I think first and foremost, it's important to realize that only the office and outpatient visits are changing in 2021. There are many other ENM codes in the ENM section which have not been changed. So I think continuing to revise those codes and make those um, visits easier, not only to document but to level, would be very important. Hopefully, within the next two or three years, they might all be done. Again, that would help with simplification but also standardization. The other area I think that it might not be so much of a of a revision or something to revise. But I do think trying to get a better, a better alignment between fee-for-service documentation and coding and HCC or risk adjustment documentation and coding, I think that would go a long way for providers. So if we could try and bridge that gap, I think that might go a long way. Con- continuing to bridge those gaps is, is so important to the, the future of healthcare. It's promising and exciting, and uh, I'd love to have you back on the podcast to discuss how those changes translate to coding. Um, But for now, Amy, uh, thank you so much for for joining us on The Break Room today. Thanks, Morgan. It was a pleasure. Anytime. That concludes today's episode. Thanks again to our guest, Amy Waller, for joining us. And thank you to you, our listeners, for tuning in. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast to stay up to date on all things healthcare. I hope you enjoyed the episode, and I'll see you next time for another episode of The Break Room. So stay tuned.